One of the most beautiful pictures in the entire Bible is when in Acts 3, it's the day of Pentecost, Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit onto his people. And it comes and it brings me to tears when I read that scripture and I feel like the Lord is breathing his Holy Spirit on this room today. So would you just join me in prayer? Lord, we lift your name up. We thank you for what you've already done today and we wait in excitement to see what you're going to do today. We thank you for your loving and your tender way with us. How you gently nudge us. Lord, you are so amazing. You are so amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys take your seats, please? So you guys have seen me up here for the most part doing announcements, and I've done it quite a bit for the past year, to be honest with you, where I have a nickname around the offices as the announcements pastor. And I also have a friend named Jake Wood, who's also a pastor here, who has had a few dreams of me doing announcements. So this, but this week I get to speak to you. But there's a few quick things that I need to check off before I get to the message. The first and foremost is I want to thank every single one of you in here. You guys are truly my church family. Every time I do do announcements, I say thank you for being a part of this church. I love you, and I truly do love you guys. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for being my friends. I am honored to be here, and I take this very, very seriously. I also want to thank all the people on staff, pastors, support staff, any authoritative figure that's ever been over me. I want to thank you, uh, more specifically, my siblings, my parents, my in-laws, and my wife. Uh, it, is, it truly is an honor, and this is not the pinnacle of my life. This is a stepping stone. But since this is my first time speaking up on a weekend, I would like to introduce myself. As you know, my name is Daniel. Uh, I... <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have worked here for 10 years. I started when I was 16 years old. And the whole thing that started it is I was dating a girl and my dad was paying for me to go on dates. And he goes, Daniel, don't you think it's about time you get a job? I was like, Dad, I'm in sports. Come on. And he's like, no. So I started in facilities here uh, 10 years ago. And then uh, I called the next three years of my life wandering in the desert. I did nothing good with my life, but I ended up going to YWAM when I was 19 years old. And that is where I met my wife, my future wife. That is where God drastically changed my life. And from then on, I felt called to be a pastor. But not only that, I felt called to be at Jubilee Lifelong. So I called my parents up and I said, hey, I've got great news. I feel like I'm supposed to be a part of the family business because that's what it is. We have like generations of pastor. And they were like, like, great, and I want to thank them publicly because I've always made a joke that you put me in the facilities, right? As I said, I wanted to be a pastor, uh, but it was that time. It's the time when you're on the outside looking in that you really are desperate for that calling and really where you're striving to grow closer and closer with Jesus. And that's just in my personal business. I don't know with your business, but it's when you're on the inside looking out that you finally get it and you finally realize it. So thank you so much for that. And then about five years ago, I got a job opportunity at the Lakewood campus to be a youth pastor. And I want to say that I prayed about it. I didn't. I just accepted it because I was so excited to be a pastor. And we served faithfully under Evan and Emily Martin for two and a half years. 
and it was an absolutely amazing time. But they felt called to go and start their own church called Colorado Church. So they went and left, and then we had DJ and Cammie Smith come over to the Lakewood campus, and man alive, are they great leaders. And Holly and I truly thrived underneath them. Uh, I actually was the associate and youth pastor, and she was the nursery coordinator. So we were doing a lot of jobs, but we enjoyed every single second of it. And then about a year ago, the mindset of Jubilee was going more towards the singular campus again. So Lakewood became Lakewood Vineyard. Uh, DJ and Cami left and went and helped start the Shine Church. And I was given the job opportunity to come here and to be in the operations pastor, which is a day-to-day of helping with the building, day-to-day of helping with business, uh, being Pastor John's associate. It's really a season of learning, and I've learned a ton. Sometimes it feels like I'm drinking from a water hose or a fire water hose, whatever you call it. But it's been a lot, and it's been a great year of learning. But uh, in the midst of all of this, I got married, and yes, to a beautiful wife, and then I have two kids as well. I have a three-year-old named Malachi, and then I have almost a one-year-old named Lucy. And I'd say this to introduce myself because I think it's important for you guys to know your speaker. I think it opened your hearts. And today, I feel like what I am speaking to you about is one of the most important, if not the most important message that I have personally ever spoken to any person ever. And what started this whole thing was actually in the spring, I was in an Old Testament class, and we're going through Joshua, and we finally get to Judges, and in Judges 2, it's talking about Joshua's death. And it says that when he passed away, that the elders of his generation still worshipped the Lord, but then a generation rose up and didn't know who the Lord was and didn't know the works of the Lord. And I'm reading this, and I'm absolutely flabbergasted at the thought. This is two generations removed. Their grandparents are the ones that witnessed the Red Sea splitting. Their grandparents are the ones that witnessed the fire that would lead them through the desert, manna and bread falling from the sky, water from rocks, and yet they do not know who the Lord is. And then they're one generation removed, their parents crossing the Jordan River, walking around Jericho as the walls tumble. Joshua praying to the Lord, let the sun stand still so they could finish off their enemy. And yet this next generation raises up and does not know the Lord. And I have a burning in my spirit and a burden in my heart. Because I don't want what happened to the Israelites to happen to us. And that's why I believe this is the most important message that I've ever spoken, because it's my son, it's my daughter that's in the next generation. And I never, ever want that to happen. Jubilee's new vision statement is empowering all generations to experience life in Christ. And I love that the leadership came up with that. They they pinpointed what we are, not what we're not. If you looked left and if you looked right, you would see someone in their 70s and you would see someone in their teens, maybe even younger. I believe that this message speaks to every single generation in this room. Every single generation. So I've split the message into two parts. The first part is going to be the older generation. And let me just lead off by saying this. I know I'm 26, so I'm not coming in here to tell you what to do. Okay, I come with a humble heart. I don't come with pride. I come to share with you what I learned about this topic when I studied it. So please open your hearts and enjoy the journey. Okay, could I go to Deuteronomy 3, please? 
But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of his people and he shall put them in the possession of the land that you shall see. Okay, so I see two things that are happening here. Okay, first off, Moses' job he, he was disqualified from crossing the Jordan, and it wasn't just his disqualification. It was actually his generation that qua- caused them to be disqualified to cross. It was their unfaithfulness, Moses' anger, and, and God said, okay, you've, you've lived a really incredible life. You've done more than you could ever imagine for me, but your job on that side of the Jordan is done. That's Joshua's job now. But your job on this side of the Jordan is a new chapter. And what that new chapter is, is I need you to commission, I need you to encourage, and I need you to strengthen Joshua so he is ready to lead his people. And I believe if we want to make sure that our faith is passed from generation to generation to generation, then we must commission, encourage, and strengthen the younger generation. And those are the three topics that I want to talk to the older generation about I think so often we blow out of proportion what it is to commission somebody. We think it has to be at church with candles and like incense and like anointing oil. But the matter of the fact is if if I were to simplify the definition, it would be seeing something and somebody calling it out and verbalizing it. I have a perfect example of this. Uh, It was actually before I was a youth pastor at Lakewood, I was volunteering over there on my day off helping out with the youth, and we're in the middle of worship, my eyes are closed, and Evan goes to the stage and abruptly stops worship, and my eyes are still closed, I look up, and Evan's staring at me like just, and he goes, come here, I'm like, okay, this is like a movie, I don't know what's going on here, so I come to the stage, and he goes, Daniel, have you ever heard of Archippus, and I'm thinking in my head, Evan, you are the only person in this room that's heard of Archippus, okay, so why are you asking, just, just what are you trying to do here, and he goes, Archippus is mentioned twice in the Bible, once at the end of Galatians, and then once at the beginning of Philemon, and at the end of Galatians, what he's doing is charging the people around Archippus to make sure that he follows through with his calling, to make sure that he calls out the gifts, and to make sure that he gets to the point that he needs to get to, And then Evan turns to the crowd at the Lakewood audience and he says, I charge you guys to make sure that this young man follows through with his calling, that you would encourage when you need to encourage, that you would correct when you needed to correct, and that you would love him always. You know, you you may think this is some small moment, but there was a person that was there that day that was on Florida yesterday and flew home to see me speak. There is power when you charge the people that are around you. And then at the beginning of Philemon, he says that Archippus, Paul was doing his greetings, and he says, greetings to our fellow soldier Archippus. Greetings to our fellow soldier Archippus. So there's a time period where this people group made sure that he followed through with his calling, so it raises the question, who is your Archippus? Who are you calling out these things in? Because I can speak from experience, I can dream these things, and I can think that I have these gifts, but until I have somebody that I respect that's older than me, 
and they call it out and verbalize it to me, it comes to life. Think about how many things, how many young people are missing out because the older generation isn't calling out their giftings. Could you imagine what this world would be like? Oh. Commissioning doesn't need to be at a church. It can be golfing, it can be walking, it could be at a park, it could be over text. It could be over a phone call. It could be wherever. Commission. That's the first part that I see as the job of the older generation to the younger. The second would be encouragement. And I think it's not just any uh, regular encouragement, verbalizing encouragement. I felt like what the Lord said is that it's a, it's, are you promoting an environment of encouragement? Are you promoting an environment where it's easy to learn? Are you promoting an environment where it's easy to fail? You know, I have a funny story. Um, it was back in high school. As some of you may know through uh, some messages, me and my brother were big into sports. Big, big, big into sports. We both played football. We both wrestled. He ran track. I tried running track. Didn't work out for me. Um, <laughs> um, but this story is about when I wrestled. And I started my freshman year, and I, I got to be pretty decent. I was probably 12 in state, something, somewhere around there. I, was, I think I lost, at the time, maybe three or four matches. I was doing really good, but then came Ponderosa week. And are there any wrestlers in this room that have wrestled? I mean, Ponderosa, like Ponderosa for them, like wrestling is like the NFL. There's like 2,000 people in the stands, okay? And then on top of that, it's, they black out the gym, put one mat in the middle, and then put one light over the mat, and I have to wrestle the number one person in state, <laughs> okay, named Austin Gable. And he is an absolute incredible wrestler, four-time state champion, went to college for wrestling, which is really hard to do, okay? So you, you know what the tall tale sign that I knew I was going to lose? Is my coach was being nice to me. <laughs> He's like, you got it, Daniel, you can do it. He had never said anything remotely nice to me about wrestling, and today he was being nice to me. So I'm like, okay, yeah, like, I'll, I'll give it my all. So I put on my, my ankle thing, I shake his hand, and I kid you not, I don't remember the next three minutes. I, you know, I take it back. I remember one thing. Do you guys know what a cradle is? Okay, so it's where you put your arm over the head, and then you go like this, and you pin him. He did that to me with his legs. His legs, okay? I was like, I, he beat me so bad, they call it a tech. He got up by so many points, it's the mercy rule. He didn't even pin me. So my, my reigning to fame is that Austin Gable didn't pin me. So, but I don't tell him that I, I got teched. That's, that's, that's beyond the point. But let's, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to your, your personal business, what you do for a profession, school, whatever it may be. My profession is church. Four years ago, around four years ago, I was handing out uh, bulletins. And this gentleman walked up, and he grabbed a bulletin. And he grabbed it, looked at the top. It wasn't Pastor John Leach's name. He put it down and walked out. See, my aspirations are different than your aspirations. My aspirations are, are to be a good pastor, is to be up here and to speak, to teach you, to help you. But when I see this, what this is happening is he is promoting an environment of perfection and not an environment of encouragement. And let me be honest with you. 
for me, my biggest struggle, the way that Satan can attack me is through comparison. And it's so funny because it's not with just some average person. It's with my dad. And for years it crippled me because of that moment. I would preach and I would walk away and it'd be a good message and I would say it's not as good as his. It's not as good as his. And it was so crippling to me. We have to be a people group where we make it easy for people to grow. We can't just stand aside. And yes, he is an absolutely amazing pastor, but it is your job as the church, it is your job as the older generation and your profession to cultivate, to help grow, and to help groom the younger generation. Because guess what? Like I said at the beginning of this message, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. There are people in this room that have helped me get to the point that I am at today. And I no longer fully struggle with comparison with my father because I am my own person. I have discovered my sound, my voice. But it took years for me to the point where my dad had to sit me down and say, it's unfair for you to compare yourself to me. I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. And just as Austin Gable started wrestling in his mother's womb and I started as a freshman, okay, it was an unfair comparison. We have to be able to provoke an environment of encouragement where it's easy to grow. And the last point for the older generation that I want to talk to you about is, um, is strengthening. And I want to read you a scripture. It's Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 18. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Okay, so what happened here as I was talking to the teaching team on this matter, uh, specifically Jake Wood, and what he said is that a lot of theologians, a lot of scholars believe that the people that fell behind were the young and that they were the weak. And a lot of theologians and, and, and scholars believe that it actually was the job of the strong to encircle the young and the weak to protect them from their enemy. So I'm not just saying to strengthen somebody to strengthen. If you want to strengthen somebody, you need to be their strength when they're young and weak. You need to protect them from what's going around in this world because guess what? You have an enemy that is coming to kill, steal, and destroy your kids' identities. We need to encircle the young and the weak and protect it from everything that's going to try and to attack it. Because guess what? If you can kill something in the infancy, then it's done for. If you want to be, if you want to strengthen the younger generation, we must be their strength at some time or another. It is pivotal. That goes from families, that goes from schools, that goes from churches, that goes from businesses. We must protect the young and the weak. I think to me, those are the three most major things that the older generation can do to ensure that the faith is passed on. But just like anything, there's two sides of it. You can have the handoff of the faith, but the reception of the faith is just as important. So I think the older generation, and there's probably much more that I could go on, but I would say it is commissioning, encouraging, and strengthening, being their strength. I see two major things for the younger generation. Two major things. And this one I can speak from experience. Let's talk about the patriarchs of our religion. We've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Okay, Abraham has this amazing experience with God. And not just one, but multiple experiences with God. God comes and meets him and says that you will have descendants that number the grain of sand on this planet. That you will be the father of this religion. That you will be the father of my people. And then he has a son named Isaac. And Isaac from a young age was experienced faithfulness to God. Even when Abraham took him to sacrifice him, when God was testing him, What do you think it takes more faith, to stay or to follow through? Isaac chose to stay. So from a young age, a very young age, he was was faithful to God. He was experiencing God. And then we get Jacob. And Jacob, to be honest with you, for the first part of his life was kind of a scoundrel. His brother was hunting for food and was tired as Jacob was cooking food. And his brother comes in, hey, can you give me some of this? I just want you to picture this. Can you give me some of this? Uh, yeah, for your birthright. What? Can't you just be a nice twin brother? I'm a twin. If my brother ever said that to me, I would punch him in the face. <laughs> I'm like, just give me the food. But guess what? Esau agrees and gives his birthright. And Jacob, for the first quarter of his life, is, is just kind of doing shady things. And he's on the run from Esau. Esau's after him. And I asked the teaching team, I said, when do you think, where can you see in the Bible where really Jacob became drastically and, 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 and just uh, was 100% after the Lord? And they got a pinpoint to one time, and it's when he wrestled with the Lord. It's when he experienced God for the first time that it changed his life. He wasn't living on his grandfather's coattails of his faith. He wasn't living on his parents' coattails of their faith. He was living on his own faith. So the younger generation in here today, are you living on the coattails of your parents' and your grandparents' faith? Is it your own faith? I can pinpoint the exact time that my faith became my own. Because to be honest with you, I could have lived on my parents' faith forever. I mean, my fa- there's like 50 pastors in my family. I could like, I would have been just glided to, to heaven, okay? Like, I could have done that, but I didn't. And I was at YWAM, and it was the first month, and I did this drastic change in my life. I saved the money to come to YWAM, and I, I, didn't, I, didn't, ha- I didn't have that experience yet. God hasn't met me yet at that time, and it probably was my fault. I probably wasn't giving it all, you know, trying to look cool, you know, I was trying to impress my future wife, whatever it may be. And then there's just one night where I was just like, I'm done. I'm done pretending. And I put my hands out, and it was an acoustic set in the prayer room, and I just started swaying back and forth and just said, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, and I probably did that for five minutes, and then finally I felt inclined to say, you're right on the edge. You're right on the edge. You're right on the edge. So I just started picking up saying that, you're right on the edge. And then what I heard God say is, jump. And what I want to say to the younger generation in this room is to jump. I feel like the Lord specifically is talking to kids that are going to college right now. It might be dandy, and it might be fun, and it might be easy just to glide on your parents' faith, but in a week or two, if this is your last week or not, it gets real. 
have to experience God for yourself. Success to me is different than what success is to you. If I was asked five years ago what success was, I would say the students that I'm teaching that 10, 20 years down the road, they are still faithfully serving the Lord. Some of you, it's finances. Some of you, it's just success, whatever it may be. But success to me for today is that I would be able to enlighten the younger generation right now to make your faith your own. It is so important. It is so important. You want to know the most powerful position that you can do? It's getting on your knees, lifting your hands up, and saying, Jesus, I am yours. I am here, and I am jumping, and I want you. It's not about impressing your parents. It's not about impressing your friends. Here's something interesting. When I was doing this at YWAM, I could hear people making fun of me from behind. And that's a whole other message. And guess what? I don't care. You can't listen to the chatter. You have to jump whether what anybody thinks, and you have to make the decision to follow Christ on your own. It has to be your own faith. Kids of all ages, if I could go back and tell my 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old self, I would say jump. God, if I could have just avoided all the stupid decisions I made because I hadn't jumped yet and because I was aimlessly living my life and just living off the coattails of my parents' faith, if I could have just jumped. And guess what? Jumping isn't just one time. It's an experience that is daily. And as I said at the beginning of this message, I may have directly been talking to the older generation and the younger generation at one time, but everything I am saying today is applicable to every single generation. We must experience the Lord every single day in one way or another. That can be through nature. That can be through loving your spouse. That can be through so many things. Jump. And the next thing that I see as is the job of the younger generation for the older generation, that the, the proper handoff to, to solidify that, that it's not this generation that ends up being like the Israelites. The next thing I see is surrounding yourself with men and women of God that you know God has put in your life and, 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 and pulling from them, learning from them. In Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says, The purposes in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. What it means is that every single person in this room has a pool inside of them, and the more you live, the more it grows. And it is my job, it is your job, no matter your age, no matter where you're at in life, to pull those resources out and to learn and grow from them. You can ask any leader that's ever been in charge of me. My, I, I, I ask so many questions, it can be annoying at times. I went on a golfing trip like two weeks ago uh, with two really good golfers, three really good golfers and myself, and we got done playing the round, and I was just pulling from them. It doesn't need to be just spiritual. It can be leisure. It can be financing. It can be parenting. It can be whatever it may be, but it is our job to pull those resources out and learn from them. Let me give you the secret of how you can pull is to serve them. In 2 Kings 2, it says, and Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the kings of Israel's servants answered, 
Elijah, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. I think, in my opinion, the perfect handoff from faith to one generation to the next is between Elijah and Elijah, one of the best. It's because of Elijah's servitude to Elijah that it opened up his door for prophetic ministry. And when the kings were talking about him, he wasn't known as just Elijah. He was known as Elijah, the one that poured water on the hands of Elijah. See, when you come with the heart to serve the people that are above you, when you come with the heart to serve your elders, it opens their hearts, it opens doors. When people talk about you, they say, man, he's awesome. She's awesome because they serve, they love. There's a book called The Tale of Three Kings, and it talks about Solomon, talks or Saul, David, and Solomon. And there's a scripture or a, a, a chapter in it that talks about um, the second that you say, I would do this differently, is the second that you let something in your heart against your authority. Younger generation, you will be tempted to rush your calling in your life. But there is a time for your calling and there is a time for learning. This past year for me, Oh man, I called, I called my parents on Thursday to say thank you for letting me speak. I feel like I'm coming alive. Even the process of writing messages, I know God created me to do this and that's why I'm coming alive. But I preach probably four times in a year and it's been a hard year, but I have learned so much about the other parts of the church. There is a time to follow through with your calling. There is a time to begin to walk into your calling and there's a time of learning and serving. No matter how minute, small it may be. I can remember a time with DJ Smith. And anybody that knows him, he's very particular to the point where he, he wanted me to wrap this hose a certain way. And it's like the way, like with these cords up on stage, like I'm not a musician, so I don't know how to do it. So to the point where I record him doing it, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this for you. I still didn't learn it, so I just bought him a new hose that like went back into the wall, okay, just to fix the problem. But that's not the point. The point is that I was willing to do the small things. I was willing to serve when it was something that was minute to me and something big to him. Because you never know when you do the small things what doors you're opening up, not just for yourself, but for your leaders, what you're freeing them up to do. See, I think, could I have the worship team come up, please? I think that passing of the baton, and I love this, it says Jubilee passing the baton. I think handing off your faith is just as important as receiving it. And as I said at the beginning of this message, I have a burning in my heart and a burden in my spirit because when the Lord showed me this, I was like, Lord, I don't ever want that to happen to Colorado, to the United States, or to this world. I never want to live in a world where you're not in it. And I prayed and I asked the Lord, what is a way that I can enclose this message? The, the perfect picture, the perfect scripture, whatever it may be. And I feel like he gave me the perfect word. It comes in Joshua 3. And I've preached this a few times, and there's so much stuff that you can take from it. I've never done it from this angle. But it's when Joshua gets the word, it's time to cross the Jordan. So he gets the Levitical priests and the Ark of the Covenant, and they go. And, and they, all they know is that Joshua gave them the word, that the Lord said it. So they take a step into the Jordan River, and it, the Jordan River doesn't immediately go dry. It actually says a ways away that the Jordan River stopped. 
So they didn't see God's immediate fruition. They didn't see God's immediate reaction, but they had to continue to react before seeing his reaction. So they step and they walk. And it says by the time they got halfway across the Jordan that it was dry, but it didn't just stop there. Then they stood and they waited for every single Israelite to cross behind them and to get across to the promised land. And I believe that every single generation at some time or another is gonna be the ones that have to take a step, take the walk, and stand in their faith for the next generation to cross and then hand off the baton. Please listen to what I am saying today. Please listen to me. I'll leave you with this quote. It's from Ronald Reagan. And it's a famous quote about freedom. And instead of freedom, I just used faith. Faith is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was like in the United States where men and women radically had faith in the Lord. We are always one generation away, potentially, of not having the Lord. And we have to take the responsibility as the church to ensure that that never happens. And it's not one-sided, it's not the older generation, it's not the younger generation, it is two-sided. We come together as the church. Would you guys join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing today what you have done today. Lord, I pray that every single person in this room would get the burden in their heart and the burning in their spirit the same way I do on this topic. Lord, I pray that the United States, I pray that Colorado, I pray that Denver, I pray that Highlands Ranch, Lone Tree, Castle Rock, all of these areas surrounding, Lord, would never, ever experience a life without you. Lord, I pray that the younger generation would jump to feel your presence. Lord, I pray that they would serve so they could grow. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten the older generation and show them when to commission, how to make an environment of easy growth, and how to be the strength to the weak and to the young. Lord, we love you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.